morning. Once again, my name is Natalie Cole from the marketing team at Dickerson Insurance Services. We're very happy you could join us for today's webinar titled COBRA and CalCOBRA, an overview with Marilyn Monahan. Before I introduce today's presenter, I want to let you know that we welcome your questions. Please enter them in the question box in the lower right-hand corner of your screen, and we will answer them at the conclusion of this presentation. Also, a few things to keep in mind. The CE credits are available to California certified agents only as the courses are registered with, with the Department of California Insurance. It can also take up to two to four weeks for the credits to apply to your account. Also, it is advised to participate in this webinar on a computer, as there will be poll questions that need to be answered. And lastly, if for any reason there are any issues with the poll questions or anything, during the course of this webinar, please email me immediately after this webinar at natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E-C, at dickerson-group.com. Now, for today's presenter. Ms. Marilyn Monahan is the owner of the Monahan Law Office in Marina Del Rey, California. Marilyn focuses her practice on advising employees, I'm sorry, employers and consultants on compliance with employee benefits and insurance laws, including ACA, ERISA, HIPAA, and of course, COBRA. So Marilyn, how are you this morning? I'm good, Natalie. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to this presentation here this morning um, and welcome to everyone who has joined us here today. I'm going to emphasize some of the points that um, Natalie made about the CE credit. If you do want CE credit, you have to participate for the entire program. Uh, we are required to monitor that and um, the uh, GoToWebinar uh, software does let us know who was on and who was not on for the full time. We also do require you to participate in all three polls. So Natalie indicated that it works better if you're working off of a computer than off of your phone. So if you do want the CE credit, you wanna make sure that you can participate in the three polls that will be coming up randomly throughout the presentation. We will send you a copy of the presentation afterwards and we will leave time for questions, although the question time might go over the one hour limit, but feel free to stick around and we will answer as many questions as we can get to. So with that in mind, let's talk about COBRA and CalCOBRA and overview. So what we're gonna talk about today is we're gonna start from scratch. We're gonna go, uh, go back to the beginning and talk about what is COBRA and which employers are subject to it. We're then gonna define what is a qualifying event, who is a qualified beneficiary and the maximum length of their COBRA coverage if they are eligible. We're going to talk about the notice requirements, what they are, who they have to be sent to, and what the timing is. I'm going to give some tips on administration. And because we're operating in the pandemic, I added a section on COVID-19 and COBRA um, and the various laws and regulations that are impacting COBRA benefits. Um, and then finally, we're going to talk about CalCOBRA, the state's version of continuation coverage here in California what it applies to, what it means, who has to comply, and go over some of the rules and regulations pertaining to that. At the end, I have some resources, and as I said, we'll take questions. In the meantime, by the way, as we go along, you can go ahead and start typing your questions in um, to the question box as you think of them, and then we'll uh, get to them toward the end. 
Okay, let's start with some background information. What is COBRA? I got this question recently, and um, the answer is it stands for, this is a mouthful, the Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1985. So that's, the that's where the abbreviation comes from. And what is it? COBRA allows employees and their beneficiaries the option to keep group health coverage at group rates temporarily after certain qualifying events that would otherwise terminate their eligibility for the coverage, typically at the individual's own cost. What law controls COBRA? COBRA is part of the Internal Revenue Code, uh, the IRC. It's part of the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, ERISA. If you attended my last program on um, com compliance generally, we talked a lot about ERISA and what it requires. Well, COBRA is also made a part of ERISA. And it applies, it is a part of the Public Health Service Act. And that's important because the Public Health Service Act applies to uh, state and local government entities. So that means that COBRA effectively also applies to state and local government entities. CMS um, administers the portion of COBRA that applies to government entities. Jurisdiction also rests with both the IRS because they uh, implement the Internal Revenue Code and the Federal Department of Labor, which implements ERISA. Um, and the IRS and the DOL kind of divide up responsibilities. So the Department of Labor has issued guidelines on the notice requirements. So they've issued an extensive set of guidelines, actually they did quite a few years ago, 2004, um, on the notice requirements, what you, when you have to send them out, what you have to put in them. And the DOL is also the entity that issues model form notices. The IRS uh, approaches things, uh, addresses the more substantive issues as you, as if you were. So they talk about, they define through the regulatory process, what is a plan? How does a small employer exemption apply? How do merger and acquisition rules apply and so forth? So if an employee has an issue, they have a problem with COBRA, um, they think you haven't administered it correctly, you haven't given them their COBRA rights correctly, they don't think their um, form notice is proper. They could call the Department of Labor, the Employee Benefit Security Administration. They have an office in Pasadena, another one in San Francisco. They could call them or they might call the IRS. Either one will probably get them some assistance. Um, it is important to realize that COBRA is a mandate on employers, not directly on insurance companies. So insurance companies put COBRA provisions in their policies and they make COBRA coverage available because if they didn't, no one, no employer would ever buy one of their group policies because it would be of limited utility. But COBRA is actually a mandate on employers. And that matters because it means that employers are responsible for making certain that COBRA benefits are offered and COBRA notices are sent out. And if employers don't do so, there could be consequences. Um, either one of those calls to the DOL or the IRS penalties from the DOL or the IRS, or potentially even lawsuits. So employers do need to understand what COBRA is and um, how it applies. Now, interestingly, when I get to CalCOBRA, that is a mandate on insurance companies. COBRA is a mandate on employers. CalCOBRA is a mandate on insurance companies. But even though CalCOBRA is a mandate on insurance companies, employers still have responsibilities under that law, as you'll see when I get to that section of the presentation. So which employers are subject to COBRA? 
Well, as I've emphasized, private and public sector, state and local government employers are subject to COBRA. Who isn't subject to COBRA are federal government, uh, the federal government and church plans. There is a small employer exception for COBRA, however, and this um, might affect many of your clients. Um, if the employer employed fewer than 20 employees on a typical business day during the preceding calendar year, the employer is not subject to COBRA. Um, so generally you hear that people are subject to COBRA if they have 20 employees or more. If for the, and it's based on how many employees you had during the preceding calendar year. So you figure out how many employees you had during 2020 to figure out whether or not you're subject to COBRA during 2021. Now, there are a few rules um, to uh, follow when trying to figure out whether or not the small employer exception applies. One has to do with control groups, and I have an example in a slide or two on how the control group rules apply. But basically, when you need to be concerned about the control group rules is if, let's say you have an employer who has five employees. So you think, ah, small employer exception applies. But let's say um, that corporation only has five employees, but it's part of a family of corporations. It's, it's a subsidiary corporation and it's 100% owned by a parent corporation that has 20 employees. Well, not only is that parent corporation subject to COBRA, but because the two of them are part of the same control group of entities, um, the uh, subsidiary is also subject to COBRA. So the control group rules are complicated, but basically what you're looking at is um, an affiliation between two or more entities. They could be corporations, partnerships, LLCs, um, and you're looking at parent subsidiary relationships, brother-sister relationships, and affiliated service group relationships. So um, we don't have time to go through all the control group rules here today. You've also heard me talk about them if you listen to my programs on um, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, so they are complicated, but um, as a broker, if you're talking to your clients and you find out that they are part of a family of companies, it is possible the control group rules can apply. And if they do, you have to add up the employees of all of the entities um, in order to determine whether or not the small employer exception applies. I should also mention, um, under the control group rules, it's not all companies that are part of the same family of companies. It depends on percentage of ownership issues. It's a, it's, um, there's various formulas you have to file, follow. Excuse me. Okay, another thing you have to do is count up the employees, both full-time and part-time. Uh, you do not count participants. For those of you who file Form 5500s, you know that's based on the number of participants. But for COBRA purposes, we're talking about the number of employees, just like you would for ACA, for example. Each full-time employee counts as one, but there is a fractional rule for how you count up part-time employees. You do not count independent contractors, self-employed individuals, and corporate directors. If the employer falls below 20, the plan remains subject to COBRA for qualifying events that occurred while the plan was subject to COBRA. And I've got some examples of how that works here. So Alpha Corporation maintains a group health plan. Alpha employed 20 employees on more than 50% of its working days during 2018. And consequently, the plan is subject to COBRA it, uh, during 2019. The small plan exception does not apply because during 2018, uh, Alpha averaged 20 or more employees. 
So Emily, an Alpha employee, resigns and her last day of work is January 31, 2019, when Alpha is subject to COBRA. Under the terms of the plan, uh, Emily loses eligibility for coverage upon the effective date of her resignation, February 1, 2019. Alpha does not hire a replacement for Emily. So uh, for, throughout 2019, Alpha only has 19 employee, employees. Emily timely elects and pays for COBRA continuation coverage. Alpha employs 19 employees for the remainder of 2019, and consequently, the plan is not subject to COBRA in 2020. How do we apply the rule, the small plan exception here? The plan must nevertheless continue to make COBRA continuation coverage available to Emily during 2020 until the obligation to make COBRA continuation coverage available otherwise ceases. So that would be at the end of her 18 months of maximum COBRA coverage, which would be August 1, um, or longer if she's eligible for a disability extension. So even though the plan dropped for 2020, dropped below the co uh, COBRA uh, limit and the small plan exemption applied for 2020, because Emily elected COBRA and became covered under COBRA, while the small plan exception still, or excuse me, why COBRA still applied, Emily is entitled to continue on coverage. She doesn't lose her COBRA continuation coverage, even though the plan dropped down below 20. Another example of the small employer exception and the control group rules in this case. Beta Corporation employs 20 employees, all of whom work and reside in the United States. Beta maintains a group health plan for its employees and their families. Beta is a wholly owned subsidiary of Delta Corporation. In the previous calendar year, the controlled group of corporations, including Delta and Beta, employed more than 19 employees, although the only employees in the United States of the controlled group that includes Delta and Beta are the 12 employees of Beta. Under the control group rules, foreign corporations are not excluded from membership in a controlled group of corporations. Consequently, the group health plan maintained by Beta is not a small employer plan during the current calendar year because the, the controlled group, including Beta, normally employed at least 20 employees in the preceding calendar year. So now that we've identified which employers are subject to COBRA, which plans offered by those employers are subject to COBRA? COBRA applies to group health plans which are maintained by an employer and provide medical care. And that is true whether the plan is fully insured or self-funded. For this purpose, the definition of healthcare generally includes the diagnosis, cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease, and any other undertaking for the purpose of affecting any structure or function of the body. How's that for legalese? So what does that mean um, in reality for on the, on, in our day-to-day -day lives? It means that group health plans could include major medical, dental, vision, a health FSA, a health reimbursement arrangement, a prescription drug plan, a specific disease plan, and in some cases, wellness plan and employee assistance plan. What is not subject to COBRA are voluntary plans, um, which are 100% employee paid and not endorsed by the employer, long-term care, health savings accounts, AD&D, short and long-term disability, hospital indemnity, 
uh, dependent care spending accounts, and life policies. So you'll notice some of these plans are subject to ERISA, but they're not subject to COBRA because ERISA has a broader definition of group uh, health and welfare plans. ERISA applies to health and welfare plans. COBRA only applies to group health plans. So we've got our first poll. Natalie, if you will launch the poll for me, I would appreciate it. Under this, COBRA is regulated by one, IRS, two, Department of Labor, three, CMS, four, all of the above, or five, none of the above. So the poll is open. Please make your vote. Give you a couple more uh, seconds, a few more seconds to get those votes in. So who regulates COBRA? The IRS, the Federal Department of Labor, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, um, all of the above or none of the above? Natalie, do you think it's we can close up the poll now? Have most people voted? We have 90% have 90% have voted so far, and it's about 49 seconds. Okay, let's go to a minute, and then we'll close it up. Perfect. And share the results. Sounds good. Okay, results are coming now. Okay. Oh, so from what I could see, most of you said all of the above. Uh, the, and that is the correct answer. All of the above is correct. So you get partial credit if you said IRS, DOL, or CMS, but the proper answer is all of the above. So thanks for putting in your vote. And we'll close up, or we'll we've end, uh, stop showing the results now, and we'll move on to what is a qualifying event. A qualifying event, usually referred to as a QE, occurs if the following triggering events result in a loss of coverage. So first, loss of eligibility for the group health plan due to a voluntary or involuntary termination. So that's whether you're fired or whether you quit, you're entitled to COBRA if it results in a loss of coverage or a reduction in hours as a result of resignation, dis discharge, layoff, strike or lockout, medical leave or slowdown in business operations. So if eligibility requires you to work 30 hours per week and your hours drop down to 40 and you, or 20, excuse me, 20, and you lose coverage, you are entitled to a COBRA election notice. You have experienced a COBRA qualifying event. Um, those are the qualifying events, loss of eligibility due to termination or reduction in hours that uh, create a qualifying event for employees, their covered spouses, and their covered dependent children. There are additional qualifying events that apply only to the covered spouses and the covered dependent children. Those would be the death of the covered employee, the divorce or legal separation from the covered employee that terminates the ex-spouse's eligibility for benefits, the covered employee's entitlement to Medicare, or a dependent child reaching the age at which he or she is no longer eligible for coverage as a dependent of an active employee under the group health plan which is generally after the Affordable Care Act, age 26. Now I'm gonna emphasize this point. Um, the triggering event must cause a loss of coverage. If you have a reduction in hours and you're still covered by the plan, you haven't had a qualifying event. If you are terminated and for some reason your coverage extends on for a couple of months, um, you haven't experienced a loss of coverage until that coverage ceases. So that's the qualifying event day. 
Um, if you have, uh, so I also mentioned a termination or a termination can be either voluntary or involuntary. Um, there is one exception. If you are terminated for gross misconduct, the employer does not have to offer you COBRA coverage. Now, gross misconduct is not defined in either the COBRA statute or in the COBRA regulations. That means that the courts have been left to define gross misconduct, and there is not a consistent definition across the country. It can vary from federal uh, jurisdictions to federal jurisdictions, from different circuits. But more importantly, it's also a very high hurdle to reach. Gross misconduct is not abs uh, excessive absenteeism. It's not necessarily just failure to follow company rules and policies. Gross misconduct is usually fairly egregious behavior, such as absconding with company funds, embezzlement, stealing, those kinds of things. It's a tough uh, hurdle to reach. Um, and therefore, uh, I always advise employers, and in fact, I think every benefits an employer employment lawyer out there advises employers that if you are thinking of implementing the gross misconduct exception, that you should consult counsel before doing so. Um, if it's a close call, it may just not be worth uh, the potential um, hassle if you find yourself on the receiving end of a lawsuit because you have denied someone their COBRA benefits. Um, so with that in mind, let's talk about who is a qualified beneficiary. So a qualified beneficiary or a QB is the employee, spouse, or dependent who was enrolled at the time of coverage, at uh, the time of the qualifying event. So it has to be someone who on the day before the qualifying event was enrolled in coverage. If the employee is enrolled in self-only coverage, the spouse and the dependent children are not qualified beneficiaries. If the employee, spouse, and dependent were all enrolled in the health plan when the employee terminated employment and lost coverage, all three are qualified beneficiaries. And as I'll remind you later, all three have independent election rights under COBRA. So that if you send out a COBRA notice to the employee, spouse, and dependent children, the spouse could decide to elect COBRA even if the employee doesn't. Um, who else qualify as qualified beneficiaries? Retirees and their covered spouses who whose qualifying event was within one year prior to when an employer filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Independent contractors, partners, and outside directors who were actually covered under the employer's group health plan would be qualified beneficiaries if they lose coverage on the basis of one of the qualifying events identified on the previous slides. Newborns and children adopted by a former employee who is a qualified beneficiary during the COBRA period. So let's say um, your employee, Sam, terminated uh, employment and elected COBRA continuation coverage. And while Sam was on COBRA continuation coverage, Sam's spouse had a new baby. That baby can be added to the plan and that baby has the same rights and um, benefits as if that baby were a qualified beneficiary who, were covered, who was covered on the day before the qualifying event. Now, who isn't a qualifying, qualified beneficiary? Dependents acquired during COBRA period by a non-employee, domestic partners, employees who lost coverage due to non-payment of premium, and participants who are non-resident aliens with no U.S. source income. 
So what is the maximum length of COBRA coverage? If you are a qualified beneficiary and you have a qualifying event and you elect COBRA coverage, how long will the COBRA coverage last? Well, in the, if the reason for the uh, loss of coverage, if the qualifying event is the termination of employment or reduction in hours or the failure to return from FMLA leave, the maximum period of COBRA continuation coverage is 18 months. Um, if you are a covered spouse or dependent child and the employee dies, you have a divorce or legal separation from the employee or there's a loss of dependent status, the maximum period of COBRA continuation coverage is 36 months. If you have, um, our, let's say you're terminated from employment and so your maximum period of COBRA coverage is 18 months, but you become disabled and you are declared disabled by the Social Security Administration, that 18 months extends for um, to 29 months maximum. During that 29 month or during that additional extension of time, the plan can also charge you more. The premiums increase to 150%. We'll talk about premiums later. The, let's say uh, the 18 month period can be extended. Um, the maximum 18 months can be extended for spouses and dependents if there is a second qualifying event, which is the death of an employee, a divorce or a loss of dependent status. So let's say the employee um, uh, is terminated and the employee, the employee's spouse and the employee's dependent ch uh, children uh, are entitled to up to 18 months of COBRA continuation coverage. But if during that 18 months the employee dies, the spouse and the dependent children would have a second qualifying event and they would then be entitled to a maximum of up to 36 months from the qualifying event date. It's not 18 plus 36, it's a total 36, no longer than that. There are some circumstances when COBRA could end early before the, uh, the maximum limits of 18 and 36 or 29 months hit. You can lose your COBRA coverage if you fail to timely pay your required premium. Remember that your initial COBRA premium payment is due 45 days after you elect COBRA coverage. Thereafter, you have to pay on generally a monthly basis and those and the employer is required to give you a 30-day grace period in order to make those payments. But if at the end of the 30 days uh, grace period you haven't made your payment, COBRA coverage can be terminated. Um, there are some grounds in which uh, a qualified beneficiary is incapacitated, um, which could uh, extend their payment deadline. I've actually had this come up where an employee was sick. They were in a they were actually incapacitated in the hospital. I think they were in a coma, as I recollect and they weren't able to make decisions on their, obviously they weren't able to act. And in that case, um, their uh, deadline to make their COBRA premium payments would be extended. Another ground for early termination of COBRA coverage is enrolling in another group health plan after electing COBRA. So let's say you elect COBRA, you get another job, you're offered coverage and you enroll, your COBRA coverage would then end. If your employer ceases to maintain any group health coverage, there's no plan through which uh, there's no plan available to provide the COBRA coverage, so the COBRA coverage would end. Um, if the individual enrolls in Medicare after electing COBRA, that cuts off COBRA continuation coverage. 
if the person has been on a disability extension and they are no longer disabled, the Social Security Administration um, declares them no longer disabled, then their coverage would end. And COBRA coverage could also end for cause, such as fraud or an intentional misrepresentation of a material fact. Like the gross misconduct exception, I would say that if you intend to implement the for cause uh, situation, that you consult legal counsel. Now, a few other details to keep in mind about COBRA continuation coverage. Qualified beneficiaries are entitled to the same coverage they had prior to the qualifying event. So if you were covered by the employer's Kaiser plan on the day before your qualifying event, your COBRA continuation coverage is Kaiser coverage. If you were covered by Kaiser and um, you uh, get a COBRA election notice and you say, well, I wanna change now to the Blue Shield option, that is not available to you. You maintain your Kaiser coverage. Now, um, there are some exceptions to that. Uh, you can enroll in different plan options under the following circumstances. You move outside the HMO regional service area, plan changes for active employees or at open enrollment. So let's say you, you're on Kaiser on the day before your qualifying event, you elect COBRA, you don't move out of the COBRA, uh, out of the Kaiser service area. So you maintain your Kaiser coverage. But halfway through um, or six months from then, um, your employer adds a Blue Shield option, which wasn't available before. And it's available to active employees who want to enroll in that. That option also has to be made available to you. Or at the next open enrollment period, the qualified beneficiaries are entitled to make the same coverage elections as an active employee. So if the employer at the next open enrollment period expands and not only offers Kaiser, but suddenly offers as well Blue Shield and Health Net, that all COBRA qualified beneficiaries have the right to say, hey, now I want to change to Blue Shield or Health Net. Now, a big issue with COBRA is the notices and sending out the notices and making certain they are timely and making certain they contain all the right information. Now, I will tell you that the Department of Labor issues model general notices and model election notices. They updated those model notices about a year or two ago. If you haven't updated your, the model excuse me, if you haven't updated the uh, initial or general notice or the election notice you've been using, it would be a good idea to look at the Department of Labor's new model forms and uh, update your forms accordingly. So what are the six required notices under um, COBRA? There is the initial or general notice, which is what you provide um, when uh, someone first becomes covered by the plan. There is the election notice, which the employer sends out after someone has a COBRA qualifying event. There is a, if the employer and the plan administrator are not the same entity, there is a requirement for the employer to notify the plan administrator that a qualifying event has occurred so that a, um, that third party administrator can then send out the COBRA election notice to the employee who's just lost coverage. There is a qualifi uh, qualified beneficiary notice. In some cases, the qualified beneficiary has to let the plan know of a change in circumstances. So we have that notice that must be sent out. Those circumstances where a qualified beneficiary has to notify the plan administrator occur if the qualified beneficiary has experienced a divorce, a legal separation, 
a loss or dependent status, a second qualifying event, or a disability extension, because of course the employer won't know about those events. So it is um, the qualified beneficiary is required to notify the plan um, when those events occur so that they can adjust their COBRA benefits accordingly. And the qualified beneficiary um, must follow the plan's reasonable procedures for providing that notice. And among the reasonable procedures is the employer cannot require the qualified beneficiary to provide that notice in less than 60 days. Finally, there's a notice of unavailability of COBRA. Um, so that is if someone sends in a COBRA election notice and in fact, um, they're not eligible for COBRA um, or they notify the plan of a qualify, actually, if they notify the plan of a qualifying event, excuse me, and um, uh, or uh, the plan is notified of a qualifying event and the plan believes that the employee is not entitled to COBRA, that is when a notice of unavailability of COBRA would go out and then there's a notice of early termination of COBRA. So if COBRA, um, let's say someone has been terminated from employment, so they're entitled to up to 18 months of COBRA coverage, but for some reason the COBRA coverage ends early, um, let's say they've you know, failed to pay their premium or something like that, then in that case, a notice of early termination of COBRA coverage must be provided question I get is, do you have to translate the notices? Um, the Department of Labor does issue Spanish language versions of the two model notices they issue. Uh, you don't actually, under the terms of COBRA, have to um, uh, translate your notices. However, ERISA separately requires that plans provide assistance to employees who um, uh, speak a language other than English. Um, under certain circumstances, if the certain percentage of their workforce um, is not fluent in English. So in that case, you're going to have to provide assistance otherwise, um, and so therefore it may be wise to translate the COBRA notices. So what I've done here is I've taken a screenshot from a Department of Labor bulletin. Um, the bulletin is called Reporting and Disclosure Guide for Employee Benefit Plans. You can um, find this by uh, on the Department of Labor website or just by Googling it. Um, but I thought the screenshot provided just a nice little summation of the various COBRA notices we just talked about and when they have to be distributed and to whom. So the COBRA general notice, that is the one that advises employees of their rights under COBRA. And you send that out to covered employees and their spouses when the group health plan coverage commences. Now, do you have to send a separate notice to both the employee and the spouse? And the answer to that is no. If you believe, um, if, it, if on the basis of the most recent information available to you, the covered employee's spouse resides at the same location as the covered employee. In that case, you only have to send out one notice. If you learned the spouse uh, lives at a separate address, then you would have to send out separate notices. The same rules apply to the election notice, by the way. The other notice I mentioned, one of the other notices is the COBRA election notice. This goes to covered employees, covered spouses, and dependent children who are qualified beneficiary. The administrator must generally provide this within 45 days after the qualifying event. So someone has a qualifying event and within 45 days, the plan administrator must send them a, uh, send the qualified beneficiaries a COBRA election notice, which they then fill out and return. 
There is, I mentioned um, a notice of unavailability of COBRA, of COBRA. This is provided to individuals who provide notice to the administrator of a qualifying event and the administrator then determines they are not eligible for COBRA coverage. The administrator must provide this notice generally within 14 days after being notified of, by the individual of the qualifying event. And then finally, the notice of early termination of COBRA coverage. Qualified beneficiaries must receive that if their coverage will terminate earlier than the maximum period of COBRA coverage. And it must be sent out as soon as practicable following the administrator's termination, determination that coverage will terminate. So a few more. Uh, so just to go over again, the timing rules. So you send out the COBRA general notice when someone first becomes covered by the plan. You send out the election notice within 14 days. You send out the notice of early termination as soon as practicable. You send out the notice of unavailability within 14 days. Do you have to provide a separate notice to spouses and dependents? As I said, if you know the spouse lives at a separate address, you do. Otherwise, you can send it to the same address. Um, dependent children, you send to the same address as the covered employee. Important issue, how do you send it out? If you attended my session on compliance basics, we did talk about, um, I think we called the course uh, everything you need to know about ERISA, but we're afraid to ask. Um, in that case, ERISA allows you to send out notices, including these COBRA notices through various methodologies. You can hand them out in person. So if you're terminating someone, you could hand them their COBRA election notice as um, you're handing them their final paycheck and so forth. You can send things by first class mail. That's another option you have. You can also distribute notices electronically, but electronic the electronic distribution rules can be tricky for COBRA qualified beneficiaries because they're not going to have a work email or a work computer anymore. And so therefore you're going to need their written consent in order to send them out electronically. So for the most part, usually electronic distribution of COBRA notices does not work for COBRA qualified beneficiaries. And instead, it's usually either going to be in-person or more likely first-class mail. Um, the general notice can be included in the summary plan description. You don't have to provide it in a separate document. I mentioned that the Department of Labor has provided model notices in English and Spanish for the general notice, sometimes referred to as the initial notice, as well as the election notice. The model notices can be very useful to use because they're less vulnerable to challenge. Um, the Department of Labor regulations outline all the various elements that must be included in all of these notices we're talking about. And if you rely on the government uh, model forms, it's easier to argue, hey, I met the Department of Labor issued the regulations. I used their model forms. I believe I've met the statutory and regulatory standard. But that doesn't mean they're absolutely immune to challenge. And we've seen a lot of challenges to COBRA notices in the last couple of years, a lot of class action suits. So you still need to look over those model notices, adapt them to your needs, and make certain that they meet all the requirements of the regulations and your plan specifics. Also important, and I'll talk about this a little later, main Maintain records. It's not uncommon in the COBRA arena uh, because you're mailing things to people's home addresses. They're no longer working at your office. Um, it's not uncommon for people to say, I never got my COBRA notice. 
you want to be able to establish that you sent it out to them. You want to be able to establish that you gave them their general notice when they first became covered, or if you send them out periodically over the course of their employment career, maybe an open enrollment. You want to be able to establish that you put them on notice of what their COBRA rights are. You want to be able to create a uh, put, be able to establish that you send them that COBRA election notice. Um, for that purpose, you want to have uh, good record keeping to say that you know Joe Smith. Uh, what received our standard COBRA notice, here's a copy, or this is what our standard COBRA notice was the time. We dropped it in the mail on such and such a date. We put, uh, if we used first class postage, um, we sent it to this address. Um, you want to be able to establish that you followed your standard procedures and that you um, uh, did everything you could to ensure that Joe Smith got that COBRA notice so that if he comes back and challenges it, you could say, well, we sent it to you and it never came back to us. So we're going to assume. How much can you charge for COBRA coverage? Keep in mind that COBRA, uh, COBRA coverage is typically paid for by the employee unless the employer comes up with an agreement, maybe through a severance package to pay for um, all or part of the premium for a period of time. But the amount that you can charge for COBRA is 102% of the applicable premium. So if someone is covered by Kaiser and Kaiser charges, $500 a month for self-only coverage. Um, the uh, applicable COBRA premium for that coverage would be 102% of $500 um, or $500 plus 2%. Um, you can't charge more than that. Um, if someone qualifies for the disability extension, the amount of the COBRA premium can go up to 150%. A question I've frequently gotten over the years is, can a third party pay for COBRA premiums? Um, we sometimes see a new employer pay for COBRA premiums. We sometimes see a hospital pay for COBRA premiums. Can they do that? Yes, um, that is permissible. Now, one thing to keep in mind is we sometimes see, it's not at all uncommon for um, someone who has been terminated for the severance arrangement for the employer to offer to pay for COBRA premiums for a certain period of time. So let's say someone is terminated effective March, um, or the end of March 31, and the employer says, I'm gonna pay for your COBRA premiums for the next four months. Let's pretend the COBRA subsidy doesn't exist for the purposes of this example. Um, at the end of four months, suddenly the employee is going to have to owe the entire amount of the COBRA premium, um, which may be fine. They may be fully uh, uh, able to, to make those payments. But the problem could be when the employer agrees to pay for COBRA premiums for four months, by that period of time, the employee has lost their special enrollment rights to go to the marketplace, such as covered in California, and enroll in a covered California plan. And a covered California plan might actually be cheaper if the person's out of work and they qualify for a COBRA for a coverage premium subsidy. So um, it's not always uh, to their benefit for the employer to agree to pay the COBRA premiums. It might to give them um, some cash on the way out the door, taxable cash to get on the way out the door, and then let them choose what to do with the money. Um, as a reminder, and I said this earlier, premiums must be paid on a monthly basis, and with notice and following a 30-day grace period, coverage may be terminated for non-payment of premiums. Uh, some reminders about open enrollment, um, and I alluded to this earlier. At open enrollment, qualified beneficiaries to change plan options as active employees do. At that time, 
qualified beneficiaries can add new dependents. They could add their children to the plan at that point in time. However, those children will not be considered qualified beneficiaries. So they don't have all the same rights as the COBRA qualified beneficiaries, although they will be covered by the plan. Um, Remember, uh, do not forget to include qualified beneficiaries in open enrollment meetings, distributions, and the election process. And as I said earlier, do not forget that the electronic distributions under rules under ERISA may be more difficult to satisfy for qualified beneficiaries. So a few points to keep in mind about administration of COBRA. Administering COBRA is a fiduciary responsibility. If you attended my webinar a couple of weeks ago on what it means to be a fiduciary, you'll understand what I mean about the significance of that. As um, a fiduciary, um, the employer, as the plan administrator, has some various responsibilities, and that includes acting solely in the interest of plan participants and their beneficiaries, and with the exclusive purpose of providing benefits to them. They must carry out their fiduciary functions prudently. They must follow the plan documents in implementing or administering COBRA and any other benefit under the plan, unless that plan document is inconsistent with ERISA. If they receive any uh, monies, they must hold those in trust or distribute them to say the insurance company promptly and in no later than 90 days. So let's say COBRA qualified beneficiaries are cutting the employer a check for their premiums every month those monies must be turned over to the insurance company promptly um, and not, should not be held longer than 90 days um, in any event. What is the role of the producer in all this? We've talked about uh, all the uh, different details about COBRA. I emphasized at the beginning that COBRA is an employer responsibility. It's not an insurer responsibility, but what is the role of the producer in this function? Well, really, it's just to provide assistance and guidance to the employer. Um, find them resources, help them find resources, maybe recommend um, COBRA administrators they can um, uh, work with, maybe uh, provide um, some guidance on situations that you've seen come up over the years. If they have some questions that don't require legal advice, you might be able to answer them. Uh, forward resources to them, like that um, uh, reporting and disclosure guide I mentioned. Later on, there's a separate COBRA guide that the Department of Labor has issued, and I'll, I'll mention that at the end under my resources list. So you can facilitate uh, the process, the COBRA administration process. You can provide guidance. You can provide advice that falls short of legal advice. Um, you don't technically have a role um, under uh, the COBRA statutes, but you can um, uh, be of assistance um, to your clients in that process. Failure to administer COBRA correctly could result in an audit either by the Department of Labor or the Internal Revenue Service, or it could result in a lawsuit. Um, and either an audit or a lawsuit could result in penalties, damages, and attorney's fees. I should also remind you that if any of your plans um, are self-funded, most, self most stop-loss contracts say that they will pay benefits so long as the uh, plan is administered according to plan terms and according to law. So if employers don't administer uh, the plan uh, consistent with the COBRA statutes, it could, it's possible that the stop-loss carrier could then refuse to provide um, coverage. So here's an example. Let's say the employer doesn't send out the COBRA election notice to Joe Smith after qualifying event. 
Six months later, they realize they never sent out the COBRA election notice and they go ahead and send it out six months late. Joe elects COBRA and um, has a, a major medical condition and uh, uh, a lot of medical bills, very expensive medical bills. In that case, the stop loss carrier would set, could say to the employer, hey, you didn't administer COBRA consistent with the statutes and regulations and we only pay benefits. Um, if you administer the plan consistent with COBRA um, and you didn't do it and so we're, we're therefore not going to provide stop-loss coverage in this particular instance. Those are the situations you want to avoid. Hiring a COBRA administrator, like any other service provider, when the employer is hiring the COBRA administrator, they should recollect that this is a fiduciary function and there are various uh, uh, elements that they need to consider as they're going through the hiring process. It would be very wise to look at more than one provider and compare and contrast um, the services they offer, the experience that they have in this field, the costs that they um, uh, charge. Now, keep in mind, you don't necessarily have to go with the cheapest vendor if the cheapest vendor also provides um, inadequate adequate services. Sometimes um, a more expensive vendor will provide better service, um, but all of these are just balancing factors that you have to look at. Uh, the employer should evaluate the quality of the vendor's services, um, their identity, their experience, the qualifications of the professionals who will be providing the services, any recent litigation or enforcement action against them, their experience or performance record, their procedures for timely consideration and resolution of questions and complaints, their confidentiality policies and procedures, and I would include within that um, cybersecurity, and any satisfaction surveys they might have uh, run. The employer in order to um, ensure that they are following proper fiduciary procedures, in, especially in case they are ever audited, should document the selection process and um, have, in addition, once they've selected a TPA, have and implement a monitoring process to ensure that they're getting the level of service that was promised and the level of service that is appropriate to ensure they're meeting their obligations under COBRA. Read, understand, and keep a copy of all contracts. A lot of employers just sign the contract given to them by the service provider, but um, for both the sake of both parties, it's important to look at the terms of the contract and make certain that they make sense to you and make certain that they meet and satisfy your needs. Um, one area where I find there's sometimes areas of confusion is under the scope of services and responsibilities. Who is responsible for doing what? Um, make certain that that is clear. Who provides notices and lists and enrollment and disenrollment information and in what timeframes? Um, check out the indemnification and limitation of liability provisions so that if the event uh, uh, claim arises, you know who's responsible for what. Check the designation of status. I talked about this a lot during my ERISA presentation a couple of weeks ago. Under COBRA, it is, um, and under ERISA, it is the plan administrator, which is a defined term, who is responsible for complying with COBRA. The plan administrator is typically the employer. The TPA is generally a third party administrator, a contract administrator, and that's not the same thing as the plan administrator. In most service provider agreements, the TPA will state that they are not the fiduciary, they are not the plan administrator. Um, and that's, uh, that's, the, that's the standard way they, they draft it. Um, 
and um, it's usually what I recommend when I'm representing TPAs, but um, understand what your various roles and functions are. Um, understand what the grounds for termination and renewal of the contract are. If it comes up for renewal every, every once a year and you have to give them notice if you want to terminate within 60 days, know what that time period is and understand payment terms. So a few more administrative items I wanted to talk about is um, maintain adequate records. Keep records of what was sent out, when, to whom, and how, so that if someone ever says, for example, I didn't get a COBRA notice, you can establish your practices for sending out COBRA notices to establish, yes, I sent that notice out to Joe Smith on March 15. I put it in the first class mail addressed as follows. Um, I talked about open enrollment. Also, another point that I've seen over the years, make certain that there's good communication between the employer's human resources department, who's usually in charge of administering these things. The third administrator, meaning the COBRA administrator, if they use an outside administrator, and the carrier. Um, because I do see things fall through the cracks. Someone will notify one party and not the other that someone has uh, had a qualifying event, has been terminated and had a qualifying event and needs a qualifying event notice. Another thing that I think is good practice is um, often, for example, the TPA will send um, an, a monthly form or the carrier or the payroll provider will send monthly reports as to who's on the plan and who's off. It's a good idea to check those reports to make certain that when you sent in that notice saying Joe Smith should be dropped from the plan because he was terminated and he didn't elect COBRA, that they actually dropped Joe Smith from the plan. So follow up on all of those things. Also, it's important to have a good system in place for updating addresses when a qualified beneficiary notifies you um, that they've moved, that you can update your records to ensure that when you send them out the materials, it's going to their last known address. We have another poll. Natalie, if you can launch the poll, please. And it is open. Uh, the question is, hiring a COBRA administrator is a fiduciary function, true or false? So we'll give you a few seconds to, to um, fill out the poll. I'm running a little later on this presentation than I thought. It's taking me a little bit longer to get through it. I appreciate your patience, but I do still want to give you time to make certain you get your votes in. And this is the second poll. We have one more to go. So Natalie, can we close up the poll? Do you think it's time? Um, we are at 88% have voted. Okay, let's give it a few more seconds. Please get your votes in. In about five seconds, it'll be one minute and I'll close it then. Sounds like a plan. Thank you. No problem. Here it is. And most of you said true, and that is, in fact, the correct answer. So thank you very much for participating in the poll. I um, maybe made this section a little long concerning the amount, considering the amount of time we have left, and I do want to get to Cal Cobra, so I will go through Cobra and COVID fairly quickly. Um, just to remind you that um, last year, last May, uh, one year now, the Department of Labor and the Treasury gave people some relief in meeting certain mandatory deadlines that otherwise apply in the administration of employee benefit plans. 
So some of those deadlines include the amount of time that participants have to notify a plan of a HIPAA special enrollment event, the amount of time someone has to make a COBRA election, the amount of time someone has to pay their COBRA premium, both the initial premium and the monthly premium, and the amount of time they have to submit a claim for reimbursement. And what these rules have said is that you get, um, that went from the start of the president's national emergency, one, uh, March 1, you can disregard uh, the outbreak period when you're calculating these deadlines. The outbreak period is defined to begin on March 1 and end 60 days after the announced end of the national emergency, which hasn't ended yet, but cannot be longer than one year. So um, let's go through some examples of how this works. So let's say um, someone had a COBRA qualifying event date of uh, August 1, 2020. Um, normally they would have 60 days to elect COBRA coverage. But in this case, because of the outbreak period, that 60 day deadline is disregarded during the outbreak period. And the outbreak period lasts for um, until 60 days after the end of the national emergency, but no longer than one year. So at the, uh, if, the, if their deadline to, um, if they had a COBRA qualifying event on August 1, then they would have a year and 60 days under the um, outbreak period rules in order to um, make, uh, to elect COBRA coverage. Um, there had been some, when these rules came out last May, there was some confusion about that um, maximum one year limit. Um, in March, no, actually in February of this year, the uh, Department of Labor, specifically the EBSA agency within the Department of Labor came out with a disaster relief notice 2021-01, which uh, explained further that maximum one year limit. So the bottom line here is, so for each participant, the applicable timeframe extension, such as the time to elect COBRA or the time to pay COBRA premiums, will be disregarded until the earlier of one year from the date they were first eligible relief or 60 days after the announced end of the president's national emergency. Um, I'm going to skip through these facts. Whoops, I, I, I had an extra slide there. So here's an example. Uh, a COBRA qualified beneficiary under this example would have been required to make a COBRA election by March 1, 2020. Um, under this guidance, the deadline is now delayed until February 28, 2021. Another example, let's say a COBRA qualified beneficiary would have been required to make a COBRA election by March 1, 2021. They now have until March 1, 2022 unless the national emergency ends earlier than that. So that's how that disaster relief notice works. I did provide some examples on the slides and you will get copies on the slides, but in the interest of time, I wanted to move forward because I also wanted to talk a little bit about the COBRA subsidies, which I think is more than the timeframe extensions is really on the uh, top of everyone's mind these days. The COBRA subsidies, which were part of the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA, which the president signed in March, uh, March 11th, I believe it was, of 2021, um, provides that certain individuals who qualify will have their COBRA premiums paid 100%, dollar for dollar, beginning on April 1 and potentially running 
through September 30th of this year. Now, um, who is eligible for this? It's an assistance eligible individual. So a new acronym for you all to uh, memorize, AEIs. Um, and we have received guidance from the Department of Labor um, with regard to um, the notices that must be sent out under this new requirement. And we also received two days ago, new guidance from the uh, IRS, the Treasury Department. What does this mean? What do the subsidies mean to employers? If an employer is subject to COBRA, whether it's got, whether it's got a fully insured plan or a self-funded plan, and whether the employer is a state or local government plan, the employer will have to provide up to six months of free COBRA coverage. Um, but having provided the free COBRA coverage, they can then get effectively reimbursed for the amount that they're providing, that they're advancing by getting a credit against their payroll taxes. What about CalCOBRA? The subsidies also apply to comparable state continuation programs or mini COBRA programs. And California has CalCOBRA. If we assume that CalCOBRA will be considered comparable, then anyone who's on CalCOBRA will also get the subsidized uh, CalCOBRA continuation coverage. Um, for CalCOBRA, I would advise brokers and employers to check with their carrier since the CalCOBRA is administered by the carrier to confirm that the carrier does plan to provide the subsidy for anyone who is on CalCOBRA. Let's break down the definition of an AEI a little bit more. An AEI is someone who loses group health coverage due to either a reduction in hours, and the reduction in hours could be voluntary or involuntary, or an involuntary termination of employment, other than by reasons of gross misconduct. And my discussion earlier about gross misconduct applies with equal force here. This does not include voluntary terminations. So if you up and quit your job um, and you get a COBRA election notice, you're entitled to elect COBRA, but you're not entitled to the subsidy. But the termination can, the involuntary termination can be for any reason. So if you're fired um, for say excessive absenteeism, um, that still entitles you to the subsidy if it results in a loss of coverage. It doesn't have to be, um, the termination or reduction in hours doesn't directly have to be uh, due to COVID-19. As I said, it could be termination um, due to excessive absenteeism. It could be termination due to business slowdown, as long as it's an involuntary termination. The subsidy does not apply to other COBRA qualifying events. So if you lose coverage because you've um, reached age 26 and you've aged out of your parents' plan, that doesn't entitle you to the COBRA subsidy. It entitles you to COBRA, but not the COBRA subsidy. The subsidy also includes not only the covered employee who's a qualified beneficiary, but also a covered spouse or dependent children who qualify as qualified beneficiaries. Now, you're not entitled to the subsidy for months of coverage beginning on or after the earlier of the date the individual is eligible for Medicare or eligible for coverage under any other group health plan. So if you're eligible for coverage under a spouse's plan, you're not eligible for the subsidy. If you get a new job and you're eligible for coverage under that new job, as soon as the waiting period is over, you're not eligible for the subsidy. Now that other coverage cannot be limited to dental only, vision only, coverage under a health FSA or coverage under a QSERA. Now, many of you probably know by 
that the uh, COBRA subsidy provisions also include an extended election period or what some of us have been calling another bite at the apple, where you have someone who would be an AEI if they were currently on COBRA, but either they didn't elect COBRA when it was first made available to them or they elected it and let it lapse at some point. For those individuals, they will get a notice from the employer saying, hey, you have another chance to sign up for COBRA. And in that case, they can get co COBRA coverage from April 1 going forward up to their maximum COBRA coverage period of 18 months, and it will be subsidized. Um, that extended election period, that another bite at the apple, does not apply to state mini COBRA laws. Um, I think we talked through all of these. Who pays? Um, the person to whom premiums are payable is responsible. So what this means is since the qualified beneficiary isn't paying for the COBRA premium, who is paying the COBRA premium? Well, in the case of a multi-employer plan, it's the plan. If you have a fully insured plan that is subject to COBRA, the employer has to pay the premium. So basically, the qualified beneficiary won't be sending in a check to the employer for the next six months. Instead, the employer will cut a check to the insurance company, and then the employer will turn around and get that money back by filing a credit against its Medicare tax liability to the IRS. If the plan is self-funded, the employer will go without the uh, monthly payments from the COBRA qualified beneficiaries, but the employer will in effect get that money back by then applying for a credit against their Medicare tax liability when they file their quarterly payroll taxes. In the case of a group health plan not described above, which is basically a state mini COBRA or a church plan, the insurer has to advance the cost of the coverage. Um, the tax credit is, as I said, filed against um, the uh, Medicare tax liability that, you've, that you uh, have to pay quarterly uh, to the federal government. Um, if the employer is uh, responsible in the fully insured or self-funded context where the employer is subject to COBRA, the, co the employer would request the tax credit. In the CalCOBRA situation where the insurance company is advancing the premium, the insurer gets to apply for uh, a tax credit from the IRS. Now I've mentioned, uh, I alluded to the fact that as a result of the subsidy, new notices have to be sent out. And these new notices, by the way, some of these have to go out by March 31. So the clock is ticking. The model notices that the DOL issued came out about a month ago, but what we've been waiting for, what many of us have been waiting for was the IRS guidance uh, that addressed some more substantive issues and about two days ago. So here's a brief highlight of the various notices that were issued by the um, Department of Labor. There is the green line there, the summary of COBRA premium assistance provisions. This is a summary document that includes a brief summary of what the um, COBRA subsidy is all about. Attached to that is a document that says request for treatment as an assistance eligible individual. It's in a form that the employee would, or the qualified beneficiary would fill out saying, hey, I think I qualify for this subsidy and this is the reason, and then it would send back with their COBRA election notice. And then the ex other document attached to the summary is a participant notification form. And that's what the participant set, sends back if the participant says, hey, I'm not eligible for the subsidy because I'm eligible for another group health plan or I'm eligible for Medicare. The next document, the purple line, is the general notice and election notice. 
So instead of, if someone is terminated or um, involuntarily or has a reduction in hours between April and September, they are entitled to the subsidy. So instead of sending your standard COBRA election notice, you would send this modified general notice and election form. Um, so to notify the employees that they are eligible to elect COBRA and if there's a COBRA election form attached and that they may be eligible for the subsidy. You would send out this election notice along with the summary of the COBRA premium assistance provisions, the two documents together that forms a package and that's what you would mail out to anyone who has a qualifying event um, between April 1 and September 30th. Um, also, um, and then the individual who gets that will return their COBRA election form, plus if applicable, their request for treatment as an assistance eligible individual if they want the subsidy. Um, also, uh, there is a notice in connection with the extended election period. This is what employers have to send out for someone who was, um, who had a qualifying event of an involuntary termination or reduction in hours um, and have not and either didn't elect COBRA or they elected COBRA and let it lapse um, and they are still within their maximum coverage period of say 18 months. In that case, you would send them a, this notice saying, hey, you don't have COBRA now, but you've got another bite at the apple. You can elect it effective April 1 and it will be subsidized for the next six months. And again, you attach that summary document, the green line with that form. The alternative notice is what the carriers that are administering the state mini COBRA laws like Cal COBRA will send out. The last line is the notice of premium assistance, um, expiration of premium assistance. This has to go out with between 15 and 45 days of the end of the COBRA subsidy. So if someone's COBRA subsidy is ending on September 30th, between 45 and 15 days of that end, you have to send them out this notice saying, hey, your COBRA subsidy is about to end. Here are your options. You can stay on the plan and pay full boat for your COBRA. You can look and maybe change over to um, the uh, a marketplace plan, et cetera. Or you can look for coverage at your um, spouse's plan, employer's plan, something to that effect. Okay. I've run over. I apologize. Uh, hopefully, it looks like most of you have stayed on, so I appreciate that. I do want to go through Cal Cobra because it is important. Um, so Cal Cobra is a they, Cal Cobra is um, a state mandate here in California. Um, it applies only to insurance companies and HMOs. It doesn't directly apply to employers, but what it means is um, any insurance company or HMO selling a group health plan has to um, comply fully with CalCobra. Um, doesn't apply to self-funded plans. If you have a self-funded plan, CalCobra is not an issue for you. There are two parts to CalCobra. Um, the first one is it apply, it provides continuation coverage to those who work for employers who aren't subject to COBRA, those who work for employers with between two and 19 employees. If you work for an employer with between two and 19 employees and you have a COBRA, Cal COBRA qualifying event, you will get an election notice and you can elect to continue your coverage under Cal COBRA. And the coverage you can elect to continue is medical, dental only, and vision only. There is a second provision in Cal COBRA Again, only applies to fully insured plan. And this kicks in if someone exhausts their federal COBRA 
Um, and their federal COBRA lasted less than 36 months. In that case, they can extend their continuation coverage up to a total of 36 months um, under the auspices of CalCOBRA. So your first 18 months is under federal COBRA and the next 18 months is under CalCOBRA if you uh, remain eligible that entire time. Interestingly, that CalCOBRA extension of federal COBRA only applies to major medical. It doesn't apply to dental only and vision only. The length of coverage under CalCOBRA uh, for two to 19 employees is 36 months and the CalCOBRA extension of federal COBRA is also up to a total of 36 months. Whereas the premium for COBRA is 102% of the pre applicable premium, it's 110% of the applicable premium for CalCOBRA. Disclosures about the terms and conditions for CalCOBRA must be included by the insurance company or the HMO in their evidence of coverage or certificate booklet. Who qualifies as a qualified beneficiary? Any individual who, on the day before the qualifying event, is covered under a group benefit plan. Unlike federal COBRA, this could include registered domestic partners. A few more details. What are the qualifying events under CalCOBRA? This will sound uh, familiar to you. Uh, the following events, if they result in a loss of coverage, are qualifying events. The death of the covered employee, the termination or reduction in hours, except termination for gross misconduct, the divorce or legal separation of the covered employee and the spouse, loss of dependent status by an enrolled dependent, and respect to the covered dependent, the covered employee's entitlement to Medicare. Who isn't eligible for CalCOBRA? Anyone who becomes entitled to Medicare, including Part A, has other group health coverage, including self-funded coverage, has COBRA or uh, Public Health Service Act continuation coverage, or fails to notify the plan of a qualifying event. When does CalCOBRA end? The first to occur of the following. 36 months after the qualifying event, or it could end earlier in the following circumstances, failure to pay a premium, exclusion from coverage applies, I outlined those on the prior slide, the employer ceases to, ceases to provide any group coverage, the qualified beneficiary moves out of the service area, the qualified beneficiary commits fraud or deception in the use of benefits. Some important carrier requirements to remind you of. If the employer changes carriers in midstream, the new carrier must offer CalCOBRA to existing qualified beneficiaries. So if the employer changes from Kaiser to HealthNet um, and there's two people who are um, on CalCOBRA, HealthNet must accept those and cover those individuals as CalCOBRA qualified beneficiaries. Qualified beneficiaries are entitled to switch plans during open enrollment and the new carrier must accept just as the same under COBRA. Children born to a qualified beneficiary is entitled to coverage as a qualified beneficiary. As I mentioned earlier, administration of CalCOBRA is by the insurance company and the HMO, but the employer does have certain administrative responsibilities under CalCOBRA. So for example, um, The uh, employer must notify the insurance company of a qualifying event within 30 days of its occurrence. It must um, 
notify the insurer within 30 days if it no longer, if it becomes subject to COBRA, let's say the employer grows and it's no longer between two to 19, but it's now subject to COBRA, it has to notify the carrier within 30 days. Um, if uh, the um, qualified, if the employer changes plans, it must notify qualified beneficiaries within 30 days or when they would otherwise notice at, uh, notify active employees, whichever is later. Um, this is important to know because the employer must notify the successor plan of anyone, let's say the employer changes carriers in, and uh, at the at renewal and the, there are people on the plan who are qualified beneficiaries. The employer must notify um, the new carrier of who is a qualified beneficiary. In order to get that information, the employer can or the broker can request from the carrier a list of qualified beneficiaries and the, form, the current carrier must provide that within 15 days. There are also details about election periods. For example, similar to COBRA, employees must elect coverage within 60 days and they have 45 days from providing that notice to pay their first premium. Um, and an election notice must go out to the qualified beneficiaries within 14 days after receiving notice of qualifying event. So here's our final poll. Natalie, if you will launch the poll, please. Um, CalCobra is administered by one, the insurer, or two, the employer. So let's get everyone a minute to respond. I appreciate your patience, everyone. I modified this program to add the um, COVID-19 materials and it, it went longer than I anticipated when I did that. So um, I appreciate your patience. And we will still take questions at the end. So uh, the poll question is, CalCobra is administered by first the employer or the, excuse me, first the insurer or the employer. Let's give everyone a few more seconds to get your votes in. And Natalie, will you let me know when we need to close that up? Yes, we are going to wait about 14 more seconds and we'll close it up. <laughs> Clock is ticking. Clock is ticking. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm going to close it up right now. Thank you. And most said the insurer, and that is in fact the correct answer. So thank you very much for that. Just a few reminders about the exchanges and special enrollment events. The loss of coverage under employer-sponsored plan is a special enrollment event for covered California, but time limits apply. So that can be a problem because sometimes someone loses coverage, enrolls in covered California, but there could be a gap if um, they don't have enough notice to be able to um, enroll early enough. So they could have a gap in coverage because unlike COBRA, uh, the exchange coverage is not retroactive. Um, however, someone, might prefer to enroll in covered California um, because the coverage might cost less, particularly if the qualified beneficiary qualifies for um, a premium tax credit. Um, now, I mentioned earlier about severance arrangements or what happens if you elect COBRA for a period of time and then at a certain point you decide you can't pay for COBRA anymore, you can't afford it. Well, your special enrollment period would have run by that time. 
So you wouldn't be able to enroll in COBRA until the next annual open enrollment period. Now it happens to be this year because of the pandemic, they've opened up open enrollment. So these are kind of the standard um, provisions that I'm talking about. It's all a little different in the pandemic world we're living in. So finally, I wanted to provide you with some resources. Um, the, these are the sections of the law where you will find COBRA. These are, I've also cited here the sections of the uh, federal regulations where you will find guidance. Uh, the Department of Labor regulations have to do with notices. The Department of IRS regulations have to do with um, other uh, more substantive issues. But I particularly wanted to let you know about the guides, the purple line there. I, I provided you earlier with the screenshot from the reporting and disclosure guide for employee benefit plans that the DOL issues. Another important guide is an employer's guide to group health continuation coverage under COBRA. They also provide model forms and FAQs. And for government employers, CMS has um, its own materials to help employers understand COBRA. CalCOBRA, we have statutes um, for insurance companies. The provisions are listed in the insurance code, and for HMOs, they're listed in the state health and safety code. The provisions are almost identical. They just have to put them in two different codes because in California, insurance companies are regulated by one government agencies, and HMOs are regulated by a second one. There are no regulations implementing CalCOBRA. Um, there are some materials available explaining CalCOBRA on both the Department of Managed Healthcare and Department of Insurance website. With that, I We'll take questions. Natalie, Natalie do we have it? Yes, do we have it? <laughs> yes, we have a lot. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm Natalie, I'm echoing. Natalie, I'm echoing. I apologize. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask the question, and then I will mute myself. Um, the first question okay. is, okay. define a corporate director. Are they stockholders or simply designated as a corporate director name only? Um, they would be someone who is uh, a stockholder and a director are not necessarily one and the same. Uh, sometimes shareholders are also directors, but they are, it's a separate designation to be a director of a corporation. And what the rules uh, sometimes circulate on is sometimes directors are also employees of the corporation. They actually work for the corporation and, and do work for them. And sometimes they're outside directors where all they do is act as a director. They don't get a salary. They don't perform any day-to-day -day functions. That's where you see the distinctions coming in. So typically an outside director um, would not be eligible for coverage under the plan, um, would not be covered by the plan, and therefore would not be entitled to any COBRA benefits under the plan. Second question, may an insurer, that requ may an insurer require that ER make change to COBRA or change to CalCOBRA only during January of every year? Um, I'm not sure I understand that question. I think I may know where they're going with this. So um, I, I think um, I think it might be based on you're trying to determine what the employer's status is between a small employer and a large employer, and so whether or not Cobra or Cal Cobra applies. Um, You know, I'm going to have to check that because I'm not absolutely certain I understand that question. But you can, you can reach out to me through that contact information, and I can get back to you on that. 
Next question. If a dental and or vision plan is voluntary, which is not contributed by, to by the employer, are the plans eligible for COBRA? Um, which, which plan is that? What kind of plan? Dental and vision. Dental and or vision. You know, uh, if you if you attended my webinar on um, uh, ERISA, then I did talk a little bit about voluntary plans. It depends on how the health plan is structured. So some, uh, if the plan is structured as a voluntary plan, so it's it's not written as a group plan. It's written as individual policies, and the employer does not contribute to the cat's cost of coverage, and the employer does not endorse the plan then it can be treated as a voluntary benefit that is not subject to ERISA or um, COBRA. Um, but if it's structured as a, a group plan, um, then it may be subject to I'm, I'm checking my notes here. Um, then it may be subject to um, yeah, if it's structured as a group plan, even if the employee doesn't, even if the employer doesn't contribute to it, it may still be subject to COBRA. Perfect. Next question. On voluntary benefits. Can I say, Natalie, can I add that? Natalie, can I add that? People use voluntary in different ways so um there is a there is a meaning of it under erisa a voluntary there's a voluntary safe harbor but there's also sometimes we use it on day-to-day -day speak just to mean does the employee contribute or not but there are more hoops to jump through for something to qualify as a voluntary plan under erisa and under cobra so next question so next question yeah on voluntary benefits, if the employer pays part of the premium for the employee, is that somehow subject to COBRA or CalCOBRA? Potentially, yes. If the employer is paying part of the premium, it will not it will not qualify for the voluntary safe harbor, um, and therefore subject to those laws. What I will do, because I it sounds like there's several questions about voluntary benefits, I will put together a little. Um, uh, brief little summary and when Natalie circulates the um, uh, materials, um, we'll include it with that. Please explain how a COBRA duration is affected when a former employer pays for premium even though an employee's employment has ended. Will COBRA duration begin on the first of the month from end of the employment date or from the date when the employer stops payment of premium? In that case, the employer can actually choose. Um, and so the employer can say, I will deem your, co your coverage, you, you will remain, let's say someone terminates on uh, March 31. Um, and if the employer structures the plan to say, well, I'm going to pay your premium, your COBRA premium for the next three months, or excuse me, I'm going to pay your health premium for the next three months, and I'm going to assume that you remain covered as an active person next three months, um, then their COBRA uh, maximum period doesn't start until three months later. Uh, but if the employer says, I'm going to designate this as COBRA premium and your qualifying event date is April 1, then that's when the maximum period of COBRA coverage kicks in. Um, I will say that how the employer designates 
states, it could make a difference um, on the COBRA subsidy issues. If you look at that new guidance, the IRS issued Tuesday, um, they talk about, depending on how the employer structures things, might impact whether or not um, the employer can get a tax credit. It may be too late to make Maybe any changes, but that's how it works. Next question. How does entitlement to Medicare qualify a person for COBRA? Entitlement to Medicare of the covered employee entitles the, um, is a qualifying event for the um, spouse and dependent children. Not for the employee. Next question. How much does the employer pay when the former employee is on COBRA? How much does who pay? I'm sorry. How much does, does the employer pay when the former employee is on COBRA? Uh, zero. The employer is not obligated to pay anything. Uh, for uh, someone on COBRA. The employer may choose to pay a former employee uh, part of their COBRA premium, but the employer is not obligated to. Um, so typically 102% is what is charged to the employee and that's what the employee has to pay, the former employee. Next question, the participant terminates and goes on Medicare. Does a participant and covered spouse have the right to COBRA ER sponsored dental and vision plan? Um, I'm not certain. I have to check that one. I'm making a note. I'm making Next question. Why would any employee elect COBRA when the premium would probably be a lot less with ACA and APTC? Um, they might elect COBRA if um, you are correct. Um, and in fact, um, one of the things they've, uh, they have now added to the COBRA notices and or beefed up is more information about Medicare eligibility in the event that you have a COBRA qualifying event, as well as more information about marketplace coverage. So um, that's one of the, those are some elements that were beefed up or added to the COBRA um, election notices in the last round of uh, modifications the Department of Labor made to the model forms. Uh, because in fact, those options may be better for a lot of people. They may be a lot less expensive. Um, the reasons they might stay on COBRA is if um, the COBRA the employer's plan is particularly generous. They might stay on the employer's plan if um, they're worried about provider networks. I think that might be a big issue. Um, the uh, covered California plans have typically have narrower provider networks, and so they might want to stay on the uh, their current doctor, stay with the current hospital um, that may not be available to them under a covered California plan. But those are all factors that they would have to keep in mind. They also might want to stay on it if they've already met their deductible for the year. Next question. If an employee wants to cancel his policy voluntarily to go on Medicare and his employer is considered a large group, does that trigger a qualifying event for his spouse? 
Um, yes, I believe so. Next question. Can the employee keep the same carrier but just choose a cheaper plan? No. They could at open enrollment, but they can't um, when they elect coverage. When they elect the COBRA continuation coverage. But they would have that opportunity at open enrollment. Next question. Who is responsible for determining if there is a control group scenario? Is it the broker, CPA, or TPA? It's the employer. And in fact, I usually advise brokers not to get involved um, and not to make those determinations because they are usually require a legal analysis. Um, and um, the brokers might advise employers that the control group rules apply, and then I would suggest that they refer them to their legal counsel or their CPA. The employer may know um, already. Uh, for example, um, if they have a 401k, um, they may have had to make that determination in order to do non-combination testing. So the determination may have already made. And sometimes I find, for example, the HR person you're working with may not have been a part of that discussion, so may not know the answer, but then they ask the CFO and the CFO's already aware of the situation. Not always, sometimes you have to start from scratch, but ultimately it's the employer's responsibility to make that determination um, with the advice of their legal and tax experts. Next question, is HR department I'm sorry, does HR department send out the COBRA notice or the insurance carrier? Uh, not the insurance carrier. The insurance carriers would uh, send out some of the notices for CalCO. For COBRA, the responsibility rests with the employer. So it's either going to be sent out by the uh, employer's HR department, or if they outsource it, it's going to be sent out by the employer's COBRA administrator. Next question, when is your next compliance seminar? Ah, I have to, let's see, I don't remember. <laughs> Do we have any more coming up, Natalie? Natalie? I will double check and I'll make sure to put a note of that in the thank you email. I think this was the last, one, this was in the last this one in this series. Series. I believe so, but I will just, I will, I will double check on that. Okay. Okay. The next question is, do you offer informational seminars for employers? Yes, uh, some, periodically I do. So um, sometimes for my own law firm, I put on seminars uh, periodically uh, to those who are on my mailing list. Um, sometimes brokers hire me to do uh, put on webinars for their clients, or they might hire me to do in-person or these days, um, go to meeting training sessions for their clients. Like for example, I could do a version of this CalCobra Cal presentation for their clients and, and various things. And then Dickerson puts on a whole host of webinars. Um, and Natalie could tell you more about those. <laughs> yes, I can. Um, <laughs> the next question, because we do have a few and I know we're way over time. Um, if the employee passed away, spouse and minor children were under COBRA decided to change to regular unsubsidized off-exchange IFP health plan effective May 1st, 2021 due to much lower premium under IFP plan. But carrier's underwriting unit finally issued the new subscriber ID 
number on May 19, 2021, retroactive to the May 1, 2021 date. Can the family request May premium refund from COBRA since it was paid by the family at the end of April 21 to avoid any delinquency or lapse in, of coverage? That's really That's specific, and I and I uh, it's hard for me to keep track of all of those um, time periods. I and I wasn't clear whether it's COBRA or CalCOBRA. I suppose they can always ask for it. I, I, I lost track of some of the facts there. I suppose they could always ask the employer for a refund of premium um, and see if they'll do it. Um, uh, I'm not sure they're obligated to refund the premium, but they may agree to refund the premium. The The key there is you're just going to want to make sure you are watching the deadlines and timing closely so there's no gap in coverage. On AEE, if they were enrolled on medical, dental, and vision when they were on the group, but when but then they were terminated, they elected COBRA for medical only and let it lapse. When they get that new bite at the apple, do they get another bite at all the lines of coverage, which includes medical, dental, and vision? Yes. That was one of the questions that the IRS answered um, uh, on Tuesday. Let me see if I can find that. Um, I'll look for that while Natalie answers, asks the next question. Sure. The next question is, are you saying if they're eligible for Medicare, they cannot get the COBRA subsidy? Yes. Next question, how to download the six required notices? Is there an automatic system that employers can use to send out the proper COBRA notices on time when they are required? If so, how do you access it? I don't know of any automatic system. Um, it's um, the employer, you know, you might check with your broker on whether or not they know of any resources that are available to employers to help them administer in-house. Um, if they're not administering, if, if there's no system available to administer in-house, then they're just going to have to create one based on the guidance that's been provided. Some of those booklets that I referenced might help you with that. Other than that, um, you could hire an outside COBRA administrator to take care of all those things for you. The forms are downloadable in PDF or Word format, but um, you know, they're, they're full of lots of blanks and you have to personalize them yourself. Next question. I thought Federal COBRA was only for employers with 20 plus employees. So how could someone be getting Federal COBRA and Cal COBRA? Oh, okay. By the way, that question about um, uh, dental vision uh, making a change, uh, that is addressed in FAQ 55 from the IRS guidance yesterday, um, or Tuesday. Um, okay, so Federal COBRA, okay. So Federal COBRA is available to anyone, to employers with 20 or more employees, that is correct. Uh, California, quite a number of years ago, passed CalCobra, which only applies to fully insured plans, not self-funded plans. So if you have a fully insured plan, 
and let's say you're only entitled to 18 months of federal COBRA because you were your qualified event was a termination of employment. Uh, Cal COBRA says the insurance company that you um, that's offering you coverage that you're covered by must agree to um, provide additional continuation coverage under the terms and conditions written into state law uh, up to a maximum of 36 months. So it's a state mandate on insurance companies and HMOs. The state can't have any mandates on employers, so that's why um, they, that's, uh, it only applies to fully insured plans, not self-funded plans. So it's because of so Alcobra that it, it, uh, it exists. Next question. I have a group that no longer has a payroll and so no more payroll taxes. Can the tax credits be applied against another income or are they refundable? As far as I know, it can only be done against payroll taxes. Um, uh, I, uh, I don't know of another way to, to make it happen other than through payroll taxes, because uh, the statute itself specifies that it's a, it, a credit against the Medicare portion of payroll. You might check with your CPA to see if they know of any other way around it or call the IRS directly, but that's the only basis upon which I know at this point in time that you can get the credit. Next question. Those who qualify for Medicare but are on COBRA are often unaware that they need to apply for Medicare within standard CMS Medicare enrollment. Natalie, I lost you. Natalie, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? I don't know what to say. Suddenly all the sound's gone. Natalie? Yes, hi, so sorry, my audio went out for a minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> You'll see, I, kept, I kept changing the screen because I was looking to see if I still had internet connection, which I do. So, okay, but no, it's my problem. Hey, these things happen these days. It does, it does. But um, it looks like that's all the questions we have for now. Um, I'm actually gonna work with Marilyn to get everyone a Q&A because it, it ran a little bit longer today. 
Um, but thank you everyone for coming and thank you, Marilyn, for this webinar. Um, as usual, I will be sending a thank you email with a copy of the slides and the recording as well. And yes, thank you so much, Marilyn. I appreciate it. And thank you everyone for staying so long. I'm so sorry about the wait. Thanks everyone. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye.